again, we're so glad that you're here uh, for as we continue this series, Thrill of Hope. And that's what Jesus in this time really represents, that it is a true thrill of hope. And, um, you know, I know for many people as we kind of walk through this story, and maybe you've been to church many times around Christmas where they tell you the birth story of Jesus And for some of you, I mean, in an honest moment, you probably said, hey, I just kind of find a lot of that pretty unbelievable. Uh, It seems too far-fetched. I mean, angels singing in the sky with shepherds on the hillside, wise men bearing gifts, following a star, and the virgin birth, right? Don't even get me started on that. Uh, Maybe this whole thing was just made up to give Jesus some street cred or help the legend get a nice boost as this whole thing got started. Um, I don't know what your uh, history or experience has been like with the Christmas story, but today I didn't want to tell you about the Christmas story. I wanted to tell you the backstory because when you find out the backstory to the story, it makes it so believable. But let me say this up front as well that I think that anybody that predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, right? Not only do we just go with that, I'm far less concerned of how the story got started than how the story ended, right? Our hope is in the resurrection. And your first fill-in is this, that Christianity doesn't hinge on the stories surrounding the birth of Jesus, but it really hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. It hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, as unbelievable as his birth narrative may seem to us today. Like I said, when you understand this backstory, when you get the whole story, it really is believable. And it's amazing. And it brings hope to all of us that are willing to lean into this event. You see, because Christmas does not begin, regardless of what you've been taught, Christmas does not begin with a couple who's trying to figure out how in the world they got pregnant. It starts with a couple who are worried that they'll never get pregnant. Christmas didn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out where they're going to stay and have the baby. It actually begins with a couple long ago who's pretty confident because of their age that they'll never be able to have a baby. It doesn't begin with angels announcing and it doesn't begin with shepherds and wise men coming. The Christmas story, your next villain, actually begins with a promise. It actually begins with a promise. Everybody say it begins with a promise. Turn to somebody around you and say it begins with a promise. It begins with this promise. This promise that God made in the book of Genesis. We go all the way back actually to the beginning and really it's an unbelievable promise. In fact, when this promise was made, it could not have made sense culturally whatsoever to them as they received this promise, and you'll understand why in a few minutes. Yet this promise that we're going to talk about today actually sets up the events around Christmas and is really what makes Christmas so believable. The promise was made actually about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. In fact, around the year 2090, before Christ, It's found in this book of Genesis. Now, this book called Genesis was a document that the Jews had that was over 2,000 years old. Some say even older than that. But this document tells us how the Jewish nation began. 
And so it was a very, very important document to Jewish people, and they copied it meticulously, and they handed it down throughout the years, and eventually it became part of what we know as the Old Testament or the Jewish Scriptures. And eventually these Jewish Scriptures were added to the documents that became part of our New Testament, and lo and behold, here you have the Bible. And so here's why this is so important, that in this ancient document, written more than 2,000 years ago that we know as Genesis, is where we find this unbelievable promise that God made to a man named Abram, who later we would know as Abraham. And so what we're going to do this morning is give you the backstory of how Christmas actually began, but it might be different than what you have ever heard. And so in order to do this today, I need to illustrate something, and so I need 10 volunteers, 10 volunteers to help me. Not all at once, that's fine, that's fine, not all at once. Okay, we got one, two, and I'm just going to have you sit along the very front right here. One, two, three, sure, come on up, okay, four right over here. Great, we need six more braves, so I'm not going to spray anything on you, you're not going to get dirty, I promise you. This, I am behaving in this illustration, okay, I know I've made you fear in years past, okay, good. Hold on, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, two more, two more, nine, thank you, Ted. Ten. All right, come on over. Great. And I'm going to have you just have a seat in the front row. Have a seat right there. And James, I'm going to have you come up right now if you don't mind. Just come all the way up. Great. Let's give our volunteers a round of applause. That applause sounded like relief that you didn't have to come up here and do this. I'm going to have you stand right over here for me. And I'm going to have you stand right about here. That's a good spot for you. All right, get comfortable. You're going to be there a while. All right. And so this is how the Christmas story begins. And we find this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. Then the Lord said to Abram. This is yours. Hold that. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country. Leave your relatives. Leave your father's family and go to the land that I will tell you. Now, we're not sure why God chose Abraham any more than we are sure of why Mary and Joseph were chosen. But God tells him to leave everything he knows. Everything. Now, do you remember when you left home for the first time? Uh, maybe you went off to college. Uh, maybe you joined the armed forces. Maybe you just thought, I had enough. I'm going to make this thing on my own, right? Um, in the mix of excitement, I'm sure there was some nervousness, right? The unknowns, how will I make it, what's all going to take place. But I can tell you that when God told Abraham to leave everything he knew, there was a whole lot of uncertainty and fear that came along with it. Because what you have to understand culturally in this time is that safety and security was found in ancient times in your clan, in your family, in your tribe, in your relatives. And God is saying to Abraham, I want you to leave all of that. I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave the security of home and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And if you're willing to do this, Abraham, I've got some promises that I'm gonna share with you. And here was the first promise. He said, Abraham, if you'll leave everything, I'm going to make you a great nation. A great nation. But as Abraham knows, he is 75 years old at this point. Which, by the way, you look great for 75. Nice going. Abram is 75 years old, and he has no children. Him and his wife Sarah, I mean, they want to have a baby, but they just haven't been able to. And so he's thinking to himself, I'm going to be a, a great nation. I mean, come on. There's no way. I don't even have any kids yet. 
great nation. I'm just hoping to be a great grandfather. That would be good enough for me. But I don't think I'm going to live long enough to become a great nation. There's no way, God. And God says, not only am I going to do that, but here's the next promise. I will bless you and make you famous. And Abraham's thinking, come on, I'm not going to be famous. I'm going to be forgotten because if I leave everybody that I've ever known, chances are no one will ever know that I even existed. And God said, that's not all. And you will be a blessing to others. It'll be a blessing. But in the cultural context, when these promises were given, this didn't even make any sense because this was a time of incredible violence. People were not in the habit of blessing each other outside of their own family, right? They just did not do that. We'll talk more about that in a second. Yet God tells Abraham that you're gonna be a blessing to others. And God continues. He said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. In other words, he said, Abraham, I'm gonna be part of your story until the very end. I'm gonna be a part of your story all the way through. I'm gonna be a part of your children's children's story and everybody that leans into this story, I'm gonna be a part of their story too and this story will never, ever, ever end. Nothing's gonna stop it. And then God continues, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Every person on earth, every people group, every tribe, every clan, every family will be blessed through you. Now they didn't have nations then like we know nations now, but God was saying every single person will one day have the opportunity to be blessed through you, Abraham. That promise, your next villain, the promise was that every single person on earth would eventually be blessed by Abraham. That every single person on earth would eventually be blessed by Abraham. That everybody on the planet is somehow going to know your name and be touched indirectly through you and what I'm about to do through you. Now, the thing that was strange and unbelievable about this is it talks so much about blessing, about how he's going to be a blessing to the entire world. But in this culture, as I said, nations did not bless nations. Nations conquered other nations. Uh, They enslaved each other. They plundered each other. But nations did not bless each other. Tribes did not bless tribes. Clans did not bless clans. This made absolutely no sense in this culture. And yet the author of Genesis tells us that Abraham chose to believe God. And he said to God, God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm old. I have no children. Uh, I think I'm going to die before I see any of it. But God, if you are giving me a promise, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to trust you. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to leave everything I know. And I'm going to leave the rest up to you. And this next part, I'm telling you what is so cool. And this is why you got to read your Bible. I'm telling you. This week, you got to open the book of Genesis and read this story. It's so fascinating. Because eventually, Abraham and Sarah did have a son. I need three of you. Three of you quickly. Three of you quickly. He did have a son. And does anybody know what Abraham's son's name was? Anybody know? Isaac, that's right. Hi, Isaac. Go all the way next to him. That's great. And you guys can just stand right next to them. That's perfect. Yeah. Love it. You brought your notes up. That's so thorough. I mean, it's awesome. So Isaac, right, is born of Abraham. They finally have a son. It's a miracle. Like, they just can't believe how in the world could this happen. And then Isaac actually had a son. And actually had two sons. Do you remember this? Esau and Jacob. And 
What's so interesting is that as you read through the history of the Jewish people, they were known, right, that they followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you say to yourself, why in the world isn't Esau in the mix? Well, that's because Jacob, oh, Jacob was a sneaky one. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. It should have gone Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But the very word Jacob means deceiver. And he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his father out of giving the blessing to him instead of Esau. And so now throughout all of history, it is not the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so... I don't know, I just thought if you have weird family dynamics, that would make you feel better, right? There was a lot of dysfunction going on there. You just got to read about it. It's so great. Well, eventually, Jacob had 12 sons. And 10 of these sons did not like one of their brothers. And his name was Joseph. They couldn't stand him. They thought the father treated him better, that he loved him better. And so they took him and they threw him in a well. Ready for the well? Just kidding. They threw him in the well and they decided, what should we do with him? Should we kill him? Should we sell him? Should we kill him? Should we sell him? Right? And you thought you had sibling issues. Should we kill him? Should we sell him? And they thought, you know, we're not going to make any profit if we kill him. So let's sell him. And that's exactly what they do. And he ends up in Egypt. And I mean, again, the story's fascinating. You got to read it. Jacob rises through the ranks and he becomes the most powerful person in all of Egypt. And because of a, of a worldwide famine going on, the brothers and their wives returned back to, to Egypt only to bow before their brother that they sold. They had no idea it was him. He knew it was them. He said, hold on a minute. He goes in a back room. He's sobbing his eyes out. He can't believe it. God, what am I to do with this? He comes out, extends forgiveness to them. Relationships are reconciled. I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful picture. It was like a, a Hallmark Christmas movie. I mean, it was just like perfect. Like everything came together. Forgiveness was there. And lo and behold, they actually became a nation. And the promises that began with Abraham are actually beginning to unfold. The problem is they become a nation of slaves. And for several hundred years, the people who came from Abraham, the very people whom God was supposed to bless the rest of the earth through, lived in Egypt as slaves, a slave nation, not feeling very blessed and certainly not in a position to bless anyone else. And then, I need someone else. And then God sends a deliverer. Do you remember what his name was? Moses. Come on up here, Moses. And I'm going to have you stand right next to Joseph. Yep. Nope, you're great. You guys stay right there. Nope, you stay right there. Move down just a little bit. That's great. Okay, great. And so God sends Moses as the deliverer. And without going into the whole story, by the time Moses was finished in Egypt, nobody in Egypt felt very blessed by the descendants of Abraham. Right? Plague after plague after plague after plague. Even the people who were being delivered were whining and complaining. They crossed the Red Sea and they enter into the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites who inhabited that part of the world were not feeling very blessed by the invading of all of these descendants of Abraham. And during this time, I mean, there's wars and there's fighting and there's bloodshed. And and oftentimes you read these parts of the Old Testament where there is all this violence and bloodshed. And and at times it's really offensive. 
And you think to yourself, well, how in the world could any of this be part of God's story? And the short answer is this, is that what offends us was normal to them, right? And so this, this is so important to understand, just as you're reading Old Testament history, and this is your next villain, that one of the reasons we are offended by Old Testament violence is because we are on the other side of Christmas. We're on the other side of this blessing. We're on the other side. And this is part of the blessing that we live in. Especially as Americans, I'm telling you what, we live in such a blessed nation. And even now, when you watch the 6 o'clock news and you watch people over in Syria or other parts of the country where they're literally killing one another, and you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, have you ever thought of this? Why don't they just stop killing each other? Why are they doing that? It doesn't make any sense. And to you and I, it doesn't make any sense. You know why? Because it's not our system. We didn't grow up with that. But for those people over there, it makes perfect sense sense because it was their system it's how they grew up it's how they were raised so we see this the world in a completely different way because we're on the other side of this blessing so about a thousand years go by after God has made the promise to Abraham and his family and they become a nation and I need who else are my volunteers I need two more. Great. Come on up. Perfect. Oh, somebody's phone's going off. That's awesome. That's great. Come on up. Come on up. Great. Come on over. Come on over. And I'm going to have you stand right here if you don't mind. So otherwise I'm going to block people. And a thousand, So a thousand years go by. And they become a nation. And ultimately the, the nation becomes a kingdom. And it is led by none other than King David. I'm going to have you slide over just another foot, if you would. Yep, And you can just come up and stand right kind of in that circle. That's great, right there. And so here's King David, and I'm telling you what, he was kind of known as the warrior king. He came in and took charge, and he defeated things, but also made these incredible peace treaties with surrounding, uh, with surrounding kingdoms. He settled all these disputes, and for the first time in the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham were in a position to do something significant in the world Then David was succeeded by his son, Solomon. And Solomon was one of the wisest people to ever walk the earth. And Solomon expanded the reach of the kingdom of Israel to such a degree that people from all over the world came and saw what he had built. These incredible buildings that had never been done before. Looking at his leadership, I mean, this guy was just incredibly wise. And again, For the first time, it looked like Israel might be in a position to actually be a blessing to the rest of the world. They were wealthy. They were influential. And God made a deal with Solomon. And he said this, that Solomon, if you will follow me, if you will worship me only, I'm telling you what, we're going to do great things together. You know what Solomon did in all of his wisdom? He actually made what would seem like a brilliant play. He started marrying all of his enemy's daughters. Because if he marries the enemy's daughter, guess what the enemy's not going to do? The enemy's not going to come in and take over the kingdom and slaughter everybody, are they? And so he begins to marry all the daughters of other kingdoms. And at the same time, what comes along with that is worshiping all of their gods. And right when they were on the brink of doing something incredible, fulfilling some of the promise that God gave back to Abraham, 
Solomon died and everything fell apart. The opportunity was lost. The kingdom of Israel was split in two, Israel and Judah. And as a result of the nation splitting into two kingdoms, it set everything back. A divided economy, divided military for the next 300 years. There was chaos in both kingdoms. And it is in this moment, during this talk, that at least 75% of you have thought to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Ryan, I thought this was a Christmas message and a Christmas story. Where are you going? So just hang on with me. Give me a few more minutes to just bring it around, bring it around, bring it around. Because it is right in the middle of this chaos, your next fill-in, that God sends a prophet named Isaiah to speak to the people and reassure them of the promise. And this is so amazing. This promise that through Abraham's lineage, a blessing would come to the entire world that would save mankind. And the prophet Israel said this in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. In the middle of all this chaos, he says this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And his government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, now just think for a moment in the middle of this chaos what these titles would mean to these people. To have a wonderful counselor. To know which way to go and how to handle stuff. To have an everlasting father. To have families that aren't divided but relationship with God. To have a mighty God who would stand with them through every difficult time. And a prince of peace. A peace that they did not yet know. I mean imagine this. And he goes on to say, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Like the one who's coming will set up a kingdom, there won't be an end to it. He will reign on whose throne? He will reign on whose throne? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I'm sure there were some that they, they heard this prophecy and they were like, come on, are you kidding? Lots of babies have been born. We've, told, we've, we've been told someone's going to help us. No one's ever helped us. But then Isaiah says to all the descendants of Abraham, the prophecy continues and he tells them this in 49 verse 6. He says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God says, I'm going to do something in your nation that will cause the rest of the world to look at you. A light will come out of you. Everybody will turn their attention towards you and they are thinking to themselves, what an absolute joke. Are you kidding me? We're not going to be a light. We can't even light ourselves. We're not going to save anybody else. We can't even save ourselves. Let alone anyone else. Soon after that time, the Assyrians evaded the southern kingdom of Judah and were ruled by the Assyrians for more than 300 years. 
Then the Babylonian Empire came to the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the walls and destroyed the city and the temple that Solomon built. And I mean, he had built a beautiful, ornate temple and it was overtaken and it is laying in ruins. And I'm sure the people thought so much for that prophecy. We don't even have a temple anymore. They carried off the best and brightest to Babylon. The economy is in complete shambles. There's no military. And in the midst of this chaos, God sends another prophet. And his words seem impossible to those who hear them. And we find it in Malachi 1.11. And this is what he said. God said, my name will be, what's that word? My name will be great among the nations. And from where the sun rises to the sun sets, in every place incense and pure offering will be brought to me because my name will be what? My name will be what? And everybody in the back, my name will be what? My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And again, the people are like, what? Your name's gonna be great? Let me tell you something, God. Your name is being mocked. Your name is a joke. Nobody is looking at us and wanting to worship our God. They think our God is pathetic because we can't even take care of ourselves, let alone our our own God can't take care of us. We can't feed ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. Let's stop with the hype. Let's stop with the empty promises. Maybe the name of Zeus will be great. I mean, maybe the name of Alexander the Great will be great. After all, great is already in his title. Maybe he will be the one to bring the whole world together. Maybe he'll be the greatest king in the known world. It will not be the name of our God. And it seemed to everybody in that moment that the promise that started with Abraham died right here. They gave up hope. You know what they thought? That all the nations, all the nations of the earth would not be blessed through Abraham. Not true. This promise is not gonna come to pass. They said there's no way that they would become a light to the Gentiles. How could we? And the Jewish God would not be worshiped throughout the world because who is interested in a God who can't even take care of his own people? They thought everything died right there. But when things were as hopeless as they could possibly be, your next villain, and 400 years had passed, the promise was fulfilled. I need three more. Where's my last three? Come on up. And Luke who was a doctor, who was alive when Jesus was alive, a very intellectual man, was friends with followers of Jesus. Luke said, I, if you read Luke chapter one, he says, I wanted to write a proper account. Many people have tried to write up accounts of Jesus' life, but I, I've done all the investigation, I've done all the interviews, and I'm gonna write for you an orderly account so you can be certain about what I'm about to tell you. And in Luke chapter one, verse 26, he says this. 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. You guys switch places. Engaged to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of who? A descendant of who? King David. Step up here. Step up right here. A descendant of David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Just for this moment, don't let it go to your head. (laughs) You will name him Jesus, and he will be very what? He will be very what? He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor who? He will give him the throne and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The thrill of a promise kept. That 2,000 years before Jesus was born, God made a promise through Abraham that every single person would be blessed because of his lineage. And it came to pass. You see your next villain. God kept his promise to Abraham that through him and his descendants, every nation on earth would be blessed. Israel would, in fact, be a light to the Gentiles. And from that part of the world, I mean, this is amazing. From that part of the world, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And through his life, through his teachings, through his death, and most importantly, through his resurrection, this part of the world, that part of the world, has become a light to the rest of the world. And that is why tens of thousands of believers still travel to Israel every single year because it has become a light to the rest of us. And this summer, I get the opportunity to go to Israel for the first time in my life. I'm so excited. I just can't believe that I'm going to actually walk where Jesus walked, saw where Jesus died, where he rose again to life. See, in fact, most of us, maybe all of us, in this room today are Gentiles. And you know who we worship? A Jewish Savior. And the God, your last film, the God that Christians worship is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason that the Old Testament Jewish scriptures are so precious to us the reason why people decided to eventually combine them with the writings of the New Testament is because the Jewish nation and the history of the Jewish people, it was the very cocoon that birthed the light of the world and the Savior whose kingdom would never end. It birthed it all. It's the backstory. And here's what's amazing. Is that by the time we get to Christmas 
and we celebrate Jesus, what we've not understood is that this Christmas story actually began 2,000 years before this point. And since the birth of Jesus, more than 2,000 years have passed, and it's still changing us today. Amazing to see that God's promise so long ago came to pass. And it encourages me. It encourages me in those moments that I wonder if God's paying attention. In those moments maybe where I can't feel him and I feel alone. In those moments when I wonder, is God really going to come through? Man, I'll tell you what, this, this story tells me that God always keeps his promises. And it may not be on our timetable. But his promises are always delivered on right on time. When we need it. And through Abraham, the Jews became a light to the Gentiles. And through Jesus, the Jewish God would be worshipped all over the world. And through Jesus, salvation would in fact come to every nation, tribe, and people. A promise of blessing kept even for us. Would you thank all of my volunteers? Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, relief that you didn't have to be up here. I sensed it. A blessing more than 4,000 years in the making that we are celebrating today. And here's this amazing thought as we get ready to close. Is that this promise that Isaiah brought to these people in such chaos is still true for every single one of us today. And maybe in the middle of your life, in the middle of your own chaos, in the middle of maybe situations that you don't understand, part of the reason that we celebrate Christmas is that he's still willing to be your wonderful counselor if you'll let him. He's still willing to be an everlasting father. He's willing to be a mighty God that reminds us we are never alone. And he still will be our prince of peace. a living hope for us today. A promise that began more than 4,000 years ago, a promise that still stands for us. And it's available to everybody that is willing to lean in and say, yes, Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to give you my life. And it's in that you find a relationship with him that changes everything else in your life. And so today... As we close, I'm going to invite you to stand quietly all over the room with no one moving around. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus, yes. But the reason for the season is you and I. It's why he came. It's why he gave the promise 4,000 years ago. It's why he fulfilled it 2,000 years ago. And it's why it's still changing our life today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so eternally grateful.
so eternally grateful that you saw us in our brokenness and in our sin and you didn't leave us there. But you sent your only son whom you love so very much to take our brokenness upon him. And he died for us. It's something we could never repay. So we receive that forgiveness. We receive that grace. We receive the living hope that comes through his resurrection. That brings us into new life. And begins a mending process in us. So we never have to be the same again. God, we thank you. That you're a God that fulfills his promises. Thank you for not leaving us, for abandoning us, for giving up on us. We love you. In Jesus' name.